Hey, Keurig coffee drinkers. Did you know that the bold, smooth taste of Dunkin' cold coffee can be brewed in your Keurig coffee maker and enjoyed at home? Dunkin's cold K-cup pods were crafted to be brewed hot and enjoyed cold. And of course, they're packed with the Dunkin' flavor you crave. Brew over ice and sip in seconds. Because the home with Dunkin' is where you want to be. Good Monday morning, the start of a critical week for Donald Trump. The former president set to face criminal charges for the first time. It is April 3rd. This is today. Day in court. He's gearing up for a, a battle. Um, you know, this is something that obviously we believe is a political persecution. Donald Trump expected to travel to New York today in the criminal case against him. Security being ramped up across the city. The legal charges still under seal. His arraignment before the judge, set for tomorrow, will have complete coverage. Picking up the pieces. Cities from the Midwest to the Northeast devastated by that tornado outbreak over the weekend. More than 30 people killed, entire neighborhoods destroyed. And this morning, new emergencies declared with even more severe weather on the way. We'll have the very latest and out full forecast. Leading the faithful, Pope Francis celebrates Palm Sunday in St. Peter's Square just one day after leaving the hospital. A live report from the Vatican just ahead. Today exclusive, the key legal move just made in the case of that Virginia teacher shot by her own six-year-old student. This morning, her attorneys will be here live on what they're doing to demand accountability. All that plus emotional tribute. I miss him. I miss him a lot. The touching way the family of one of the Idaho murder victims is now honoring his legacy of kindness. Today, Monday, April 3rd, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Cuppy, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Today. Nice to have you with us on a Monday morning. We'll start with the start of a busy week here in New York surrounding the arraignment of Donald Trump, the former president announcing overnight he will leave his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida at noon today. He'll be headed to Trump Tower in Midtown Manhattan. And that is where he will spend the night before his court appearance. And outside Trump Tower, already an enhanced NYPD detail and security barricades, all in preparation for Trump supporters and protesters. From there, tomorrow morning, Trump will head to lower Manhattan, the courthouse there for his arraignment. And there remain a lot of questions surrounding this whole process, as well as the legal and political ramifications. We've got it all covered for you. We'll start with NBC's Garrett Haig outside that courtroom in downtown Manhattan. Garrett, good morning. Hey, Savannah, good morning. Security officials in New York City have been preparing for this moment since even before Mr. Trump first predicted his own arrest two weeks ago. But tomorrow will be the history-making day when the first ever twice-impeached former president will stand before a judge and also become the first ever to face criminal charges. New York City this morning preparing to become the setting for an unprecedented legal and political drama as Donald Trump returns to face the criminal charges against him. Mr. Trump expected to face some 30 separate charges, according to two sources familiar with the matter, the first ever filed against a former president in an indictment handed up last Thursday, still secret and under seal until his arraignment Tuesday. 
The case developed by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg centers on hush money payments former Trump fixer Michael Cohen claims he made to an adult film star on Mr. Trump's behalf, hoping to buy her silence at a pivotal moment in the 2016 campaign about an alleged affair a decade prior. Mr. Trump insists there was no affair. His attorneys insist there was no crime. I very much anticipate a motion to dismiss coming because there's no law that fits this. Mr. Trump's arraignment Tuesday will include being processed at the courthouse, with fingerprints and a DNA sample expected to be taken as well. But he likely won't be handcuffed, and Secret Service agents will protect him at every turn. The former president also announcing he'll give a major speech Tuesday night on his return to Florida. But his recent comments on the case may jeopardize what he can say going forward, with some raising the possibility of a gag order imposed by Judge Juan Mershon. That judge has been the subject of Mr. Trump's attacks, writing on social media, quote, The judge assigned to my witch hunt case, a case that has never been charged before, hates me. Mr. Trump's own lawyer disagreeing. He's, he says has that a very he's... good reputation. I have no reason to believe the okay. judge is biased. But Mr. Trump's legal challenges won't end at the Mar-a-Lago gates. The Washington Post reporting this morning that the Justice Department is amassing evidence of possible obstruction by Mr. Trump, citing sources familiar with the matter, in the special counsel's investigation of classified documents allegedly kept at the former president's Florida home. NBC News has not confirmed that report, and the Justice Department is not commenting. Mr. Trump on social media Sunday attacking all of the investigations against him as efforts to, quote, interfere with, rig, and steal elections. While Mr. Trump is in the courthouse tomorrow, a group of some of his most vocal supporters, led by Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, will hold what they're calling a peaceful protest on his behalf in the park just behind our camera position. But Mr. Trump has argued that this city is so set against him he cannot get a fair trial here, suggesting repeatedly that he might call for a change of venue once this process gets fully underway. Savannah? All right, Garrett, thank you. I want to turn now to NBC senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett. Hi, Laura. So what an arraignment is not, you know, usually just a pretty pro forma yeah. um, proceeding yeah. in court. This one will be watched. What should we expect? Yeah, usually it's very ministerial. It could be over within a matter of minutes. Um, obviously, it'll be the first time we actually hear in public the charges read against the former president. And so that'll be a moment, obviously, unprecedented in so many different ways. It'll also be the first time that we hear Mr. Trump actually enter a plea, obviously, of not guilty. He has vowed to fight these charges. We wouldn't expect anything else. And then they might talk about what's known as discovery, some of the evidence that the prosecutors have gathered against the former president. They are required to turn over that evidence. So you hear a lot about dates for him to come back. Again, sort of a ministerial thing, but obviously in anything but an unministerial case. But then, of course, there's also the booking procedures for any criminal defendant. Right. There's, you know, you're you're technically you're under arrest. you got to get a mugshot. Yeah, he's not free to leave, even yeah. if we we don't see handcuffs. We should be clear. Once he turns himself in and surrenders, he is not free to leave. It's a custodial setting. He will be fingerprinted. The mugshot issue is a little bit under dispute now about whether that will happen. He's not. We're not supposed to have that. Actually, under New York law, you're not required to. They're not supposed to release that. But whether or not it happens, we'll see. Well, so let's talk about the, what the public will see. I mean, a, a group of news organizations has asked for there to be cameras in yeah. the court. You also have the former president being very vocal, as is his certainly his First Amendment right. How does that affect the case? Well, the whole issue is whether or not it's changing the jury pool. The whole point is for obviously any defendant to be able to 
get a fair trial. And speaking out against the judge, speaking out against the prosecutors is always a move that no lawyer would say is a good idea. On the other hand, we've never seen a case like this. This is someone who is running for office, running for to be the next president of the United States. And so it'd be hard to see the judge say that he can't defend himself. He has a First Amendment right. But it will be interesting to see whether the judge issues any sort of admonishment to everyone to be careful about tainting the jury pool. All right, Laura, thank you very much. Sure. And now to the political fallout from this historic legal case. NBC senior Washington correspondent Hallie Jackson joins us with that part of the story. Hallie, good morning. I mean, the president has been fundraising, revving up support. Uh, in the short term, it seems like this indictment has been rocket fuel to his campaign. Yeah, for now, look at what they've raised, the money they've raised just since news of the indictment first came out last week. The Trump campaign says it's raked in more than $5 million, Savannah. They're selling, like, indictment swag and merch. They're leaning into this. And this new post-indictment online poll that's out shows that Mr. Trump has actually increased his lead over Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis. You see it here in a hypothetical one-on-one -on -one matchup. So, yes, Trump world is pointing to all of that, that revving up support, as you put it. But there's also a question that's been raised of how much this might be bravado, perhaps, in the face of legal problems. That said, there is a sense among many Republicans that this particular case, they back up Mr. Trump saying they think it is politically motivated. As an example, one Republican who's no fan of Donald Trump tells me, hey, I want to see Mr. Trump go away, but I don't want to see him go to prison on this charge, which I think encapsulates some of the sentiment there. There's a major caveat to all of this, Savannah. We don't actually know. Nobody knows right now the specifics of what is actually in this indictment other than, of course, the prosecutor's office and the Manhattan DA's office. So that is something that a lot of people are looking to. Absolutely. Uh, are there any poll numbers that show what voters think about the particular charges? Again, we don't know what the, the nature of the legal That's case right. is, but the fact of the indictment. Yeah, the fact that he's been indicted at all. There is this new ABC News Ipsos poll that shows half of Americans think these charges are serious. Nearly half, 45 percent, do think Mr. Trump should be charged with a crime. There's another recent poll that says most people think criminal charges should disqualify Donald Trump from running for president. By the way, they don't technically disqualify him. He can still run. He says he's going to. But through all these numbers, there's one important trend line, which are partisan divides. I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that. They're very clear. And this polling shows how Mr. Trump really has kept his grip on the party. 72 percent of Republicans say they think that Donald Trump has had a positive impact on the GOP and nearly 80 percent, eight in 10, see themselves as part of his MAGA movement overall. Savannah. All right. Hallie Jackson, thank you very much. Also this morning, communities across the country are facing a long road to recovery after a weekend of devastating storms. Take a look at this map. So there were nearly 100 reported tornadoes touching down from Iowa to New Jersey. That severe weather being blamed for more than 30 deaths, widespread damage, and there's potential for even more storms this week. We're going to get to Al's forecast in just a moment. But first, NBC's Emily Aketa joins us now from hard hit Arkansas. Emily, good morning. Hoda, good morning. The damage from this weekend's storms is widespread across more than a dozen states, and the severe weather proved to be town-altering for here in Wynn, Arkansas. You can see this stairway, this entryway to a home that has been completely reduced to to rubble the path of devastation by this tornado that changed everything for this town in a matter of minutes. This morning, a colossal cleanup is underway. Towns from the south to the midwest are facing unimaginable destruction. It comes after a weekend that saw a band of severe storms sweep across the country. More than 50 confirmed tornadoes touched down in 14 states, killing at least 32 people. Stop! This debris 
This ferocious funnel in Iowa ripping across a roadway. Oh my God! While a tornado in Belvedere, Illinois, led to this chaotic scene during a show at the Apollo Theater, leaving nearly 50 injured and one dead. Concert goers helped free people trapped beneath a collapsed roof. As the system moved east, rare twisters formed in New Jersey and Delaware, which saw its first tornado-related fatality in 40 years. Go, 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 go! And in Arkansas, harrowing moments caught on camera from the monstrous storm that flipped cars and flattened homes. Kimberly Shaw was at a dentist's office in Little Rock when a tornado knocked her off her feet. She desperately clung to her husband as debris swirled around them. If your husband hadn't held on to you, what would have happened? I would have been sucked out the door and would have been taken by the tornado. He saved my life. Remarkable survival stories from residents now left to pick up so many pieces. Oh, wow. So the roof's just completely blown off. Well, about half of it is, yes. In the face of so much destruction, members of this church still coming together and gathering outside a shell of what once was for a Sunday service. The, the idea of meeting here and being seen here even in the midst of our, our building being damaged uh, just seemed like the right thing to do. From churches to homes to schools, the damage in this neighborhood touches just about everything. So widespread, even schools here in Wynn, Arkansas, have been canceled at least through this week. And in nearby Tennessee, the death toll continues to climb. Now at least 15 people have been killed by the swath of storms, and the region could be up against a one-two punch with yet another severe storm system set to move in tomorrow, Hoda. All right, uh, Emily Aketa for us there in Arkansas. Emily, thank you, board. These storms seem like they're unending. For more on what happened over the weekend and what's happening next, Al, what's going on? Yeah, guys, unfortunately, we've, we talked about this on Friday. There's going to be a storm set up. We've got a much more active April on tap, and unfortunately, it is playing out. Seven million people under winter weather alerts are stretching from the west all the way into the plains. Wind alerts, 39 million people. Right now, we've got a risk of severe weather down through the south, down around the Gulf Coast. Wind Wind gusts of up to 70 miles per hour, tornadoes possible. And in fact, as we look at the radar, this area outlined in pink, tornado watches right now. And just to the east of Laurel, Texas, uh, we are looking at, uh, or I should say uh, Laurel, Mississippi, we're looking at a tornado warning right now. So we're watching this very closely. Storming de Storms developed today over the Rockies. Western third of the country is going to stay snowy and windy. Some places picking up two feet of snow or more. Red flag warnings for Arizona to Oklahoma because of the winds. Now, tomorrow, this intense low-pressure system moves to the east. Blizzard-like conditions up into the northern plains, but ahead of this system, we've got a tornado, a severe thunderstorm risk, severe storm risk for 34 million people. Strong tornadoes expected in the same areas we saw on Friday. The risk for EF2 up through Des Moines, Kirksville, Peoria, down to the south, Little Rock, north of Shreveport, Springfield, EF2 tornadoes as well, and then Wednesday, this moves to the east. Snow and wind continues in the upper Midwest. But look at this, 32 million people at risk. Tornadoes likely from Buffalo, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, on into Detroit. The rainfall, three to five inches of rain locally down through the south and back up to the north from Fargo into the Rockies. We're talking some areas could pick up two feet of snow or more. So a very volatile 48 hours coming up. Guys. When you say impossible travel yeah. conditions, yeah. Yes. that's saying something. All right, Al, thank you. Exactly. Craig joins us now. Good morning, hey, Craig. Savannah, good morning. Good morning to you as well. 
There was a welcome sight for the world's Catholics to start Holy Week. Pope Francis celebrating Palm Sunday before a massive crowd in St. Peter's Square just one day after the 86-year-old was released from the hospital. NBC's Ann Thompson has made her way to Vatican City. She joins us. And good morning. Good morning, Craig, from a very windy Vatican City. It was just 24 hours ago that Pope Francis was here on St. Peter's Square a day after being released from the hospital for bronchitis. Really, as you said, a welcome sight for the world's Catholics and the world. He wanted to show the world and Catholics that he can still lead this church. Bundled up against a chilly Roman morning, the Pope blessed palms and he presided over Palm Sunday Mass. He did have a slight cough, perhaps a remnant of that bronchitis. He delivered the homily and went off the cuff, surely a sign that he is feeling better. And then at the end of Mass, he thanked everyone who had prayed for him during his illness. The Pope then got on the Mobile and traveled through the crowd of 60,000 who had come to worship with him. And you could really see that the Pope was energized by the cheering and the great welcome back he got from them. Now, this is a very busy week for the 68 or excuse me 86 year old pontiff he resumed his private audiences today he will have a public audience on wednesday and then on holy thursday he will travel to a juvenile prison on good friday he will be at the way of the cross and then he'll be back here in saint peter's square to preside over easter sunday mass and you can bet all this week that the world will be watching to see just how he holds up craig the always unflappable Ann Thompson not getting blown over there in Vatican City. Ann, thank you so much. Mr. Roker, what you got? Hey, guys. So we are looking at strong storms now moving through the panhandle of Florida, parts of the Gulf Coast, record highs back through Texas. Uh, sunshine here in the Northeast, that'll be changing later on tomorrow. Blizzard conditions developing out through the plains. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right. Thank you. Al, thank you. Coming up, breaking just this morning, the Virginia teacher who was shot by her first grade student filing a lawsuit against the school board and others she believes could have stopped that attack. Her attorneys are with us live. Plus, we are celebrating a connection that changed the world. The very first call from a cell phone exactly 50 years ago today. And we caught up with a man who placed it. But first, this is today on NBC. How about that? Oh, it's like a shoe. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. In life, we're often driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to find candidates isn't to search. It's to match with Indeed. Indeed's a matching and hiring platform used by over 300 million global monthly users, according to Indeed data. Need quality candidates fast? Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging. And you'll connect with candidates in no time. And it's not just faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And here's the best part. Listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit, giving your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. <laughs> Back now, 730. We've got a live look at the Johnson Space Center in Houston ahead of a big announcement there today. NASA set to reveal the astronauts who will lead its first return mission to the moon in 50 years. 50 years is our theme. It That's is. That's our theme today. Tom Costello is going to join us with more on that in just a little bit. How yes. an exciting Pretty time. Cool. Three Americans, one Canadian. Uh, we're going to start this half hour, though, with some new developments on a story that we have been following closely here. Yeah, months after Abby's Warner was shot in a Virginia classroom by her first grade student just this morning, her attorneys have filed a lawsuit against the school board and three former administrators at the school. They allege the incident was a personal attack on Abby's Warner that could have been prevented. Diane and her co-counsel Jeffrey Bright are joining us live this morning here in studio. But first, the latest on the shooting that stunned the nation. It's been nearly three months since first grade teacher Abby Zwerner was shot by her six-year-old student at Richneck Elementary School. In that moment, what's going through your mind? I was terrified. Um, in that moment... My initial reaction was, your kids need to get out of here. Now, the 25-year-old teacher is demanding the school be held responsible for the near-fatal incident. A new lawsuit filed just this morning alleges gross negligence and reckless breach of duty against the Newport News School Board and three former administrators at the school for failing to protect Zwerner from the student's, quote, known history of random violence. Despite multiple warnings, including three other staffers telling the then assistant principal that the boy was carrying a gun, the administration refused to take appropriate action, according to the new complaint. Do you feel like you could have been better protected by the school? Yes. You feel like they should have done more? Yes. The local prosecutor decided not to charge the six-year-old boy, but said he is investigating whether others could face criminal charges. Everything about this is so unthinkable. I wonder what you think or how you feel about this student. You know, there's some things that I'll never forget. And I just will never forget the look on his face that he gave me while he pointed the gun directly at me. That's something that I will never forget. It, it's changed me. It's changed my life. In a previous statement, Newport News Public Schools told NBC News they are focused on the well-being of their students and staff and have since added more security measures to their buildings. A lawyer for former Richneck principal Brianna Foster-Newton has said that she was not made aware the boy had a gun on the day of the shooting. In the past, the other two administrators named in this lawsuit have not commented. And with that said, let's bring in the attorneys who filed this lawsuit moments ago on Abby Warner's behalf, Diane Toscano and Jeffrey Bright. Good morning to both of you. Hi, good morning. Diane, let me ask you about Abby. You know her well. How does she feel about this step? Why did she want to bring this lawsuit? So Abby is a courageous young lady, so brave. You were able to hear from her two weeks ago. Um, she is really pushing through. Every day is different and challenging. You know, she's going to be dealing with this for her entire life, the physical, the emotional trauma. Um, but she is ready for what we're doing today. We're going to hold those accountable for what happened to her, to the for the tragedy that was 
completely preventable. Well, let's talk about that, Jeffrey. You're suing the school board, the superintendent, the principal, and the assistant principal. One of them, the principal says, hey, I wasn't the one that was warned about this. I never received these warnings. Your lawsuit says, yes, indeed, she was. What are the facts that you have gathered that support these allegations? Well, we know for a fact that there were at least three opportunities for them to stop this from happening. And how many people were involved in the decision making will be a part of our discovery, obviously. But right now, the allegations are, and we believe the facts will support the fact that they knew that they had three complaints. And then eventually a teacher comes down there and says one of the students has actually seen the gun. At that point in time, you have a ticking time bomb in the school and the school failed to do anything about it. The lawsuit contains some pretty disturbing allegations. Some have not been reported before. You say that the boy had strangled a teacher the year prior and that his parents did not want him in special education. They wanted him in the general population of students. How does that feed into your case and affect the case? Well, I will tell you, we've done our due diligence. Uh, we stand by the facts in the complaint as they're written. Um, and as this case comes forward in the courts, I think things will come out um, that we will be able to address at that time and use to explain how this was preventable. These facts, as contained in the complaint, are quite egregious. Are you yes. surprised, Jeffrey, that it has gotten even to this point where you're filing a lawsuit, that there hasn't been a settlement? Do you expect it to go to trial? The school board obviously has insurance, and the insurance companies here have the people that we've dealt with, and they have a very narrow defense. So far, they're standing on that defense. I think when they read the complaint, they're going to understand that we have more facts than they thought we did. What's and the defense? Well, they're going to try to argue that this is a workers' comp, that a person can't sue their own employer in Virginia. But Virginia has very special laws and very interesting Supreme Court cases, and this is an exception. No six-year-old student is really going to be a risk of shooting a teacher. It's not a part of their job. It's not a night 7-Eleven worker. And so I think the workers' comp defense will fail. Well, I noticed a line in the, in the lawsuit, actually, Diane, making a point to say this shooting was personal to Abby. It was not part of her job as a teacher. Can you uh, elaborate on the significance of that? I mean, is it your understanding that the school board is going to say, this is part of the job of being a teacher. You assume the risk of being shot by your first grader. That's correct. That's what they've maintained up until today, that that is just part of the job. It's an assumption of the job that a four, first grade teacher is going to be shot by their own student, a six-year-old. Uh, that is unacceptable. That's outrageous. Um, and that's not what happened here. And finally, $40 million in damages. How do you arrive at a figure like that? She's got permanent injuries. Her hand will never be the same. And of course, she's left with a bullet and fragments in an area of her brachial plexus. The surgeon said that we can't remove it. It's lead. And so she's going to live with these bullet parts in her body. And something's going to happen when they start to migrate through her body. And so it's a fair number, we think, for what's happened to her. And emotionally, I mean, what do you think is next for Abby? I mean, I was asking her when we met, you know, do you think you'll teach again? What do you think your, your future holds? And she really said she didn't know. Right. Her future is uncertain. She loved being a teacher, loved teaching children. Uh, but the emotional trauma she has sustained is just unbelievable. Um, so her future is uncertain at this time. All right. Diane Toscano, Jeffrey Bright, the attorneys representing Abby Zwerner. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Craig, over to you. All right. That's it. Coming up, a powerful new tribute to a victim in the Idaho college murders from his parents and friends. What they are now doing to carry on his legacy. 
First though, Joe Fryer is here with a closer look at an exciting piece of history that unfolded 50 years ago. Yeah, 50 years ago today, the first mobile cell phone call was made on a phone much, much, much bigger than this one I'm holding. I spoke with the man who made that call. You won't believe who he called first. We'll tell you coming up on today. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms, not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. Breathe Right. Get your strip on. Use as directed. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> We're back, 741. As Carson joins us. Yeah, you may not realize this, guys, but exactly 50 years ago today, history was made, something that continues to impact all of us. Every one of us. Uh, the first successful cell phone. A cell phone call was made on this date back in 1973. <laughs> NBC News Now anchor Joe Fryer talked to the man who made that call. Who'd he call, Joe? You're going to be surprised to hear who he called. This surprised me to learn that. It was 50 years ago. The historic call, it actually happened here in Midtown Manhattan, just a few blocks from Studio 1A. The engineer who made that call, he's now 94 years old. He returned to New York to celebrate the occasion. Long before sleek smartphones were practically welded to our hands, the technology looked like this. A brick is how some might describe it, though perhaps it's more fitting to call it a building block. This phone, uh, you can see how big it is. It weighed two and a half pounds, would you believe? Marty Cooper worked for Motorola back in 1973, overseeing the company's cell phone development division. So is this right here where history was right, made? Right here. You know, who should I call? And it occurred to me that I would call my counterpart in the Bell system. From this exact spot, exactly 50 years ago today, Cooper made the first mobile cell call, dialing up his rival at Bell Labs. Uh, and I said, uh, Joel, I'm calling you on a cell phone. A real cell phone, a handheld, personal, portable cell phone. You could tell that I was not averse to rubbing it in. So you were bragging a little bit there. I sure was. Seems like this are becoming commonplace. In it would be another decade before Motorola's Dynatac phone was on the market, selling for close to 4000 bucks. With a price tag like that, they were initially toys for the elite, you know, Wall Street types. Well, those early models might now be characterized as clunky. Here's how they were described on today. It's small. It's smart. It's even sexy. Over the years, as the phone shrank, interest grew, which meant fewer folks were clueless. He gave me a C minus. Well, he gave me a C, which tracks down my entire average. Before long, the devices could be fiercely flipped. Hello. 
and eventually their skill set expanded well beyond mere calls with the BlackBerry and, of course, the iPhone. Most of what you do is uh, social media, texting, uh, talking on the phone. The future of the cell phone is much more complicated and much more bright than that. Cooper says this is just the beginning, that this technology will revolutionize education, health care, and so much more, which is why when people call him the father of the cell phone, well, it has a nice ring to it. And Cooper made it clear he was just one man on a big team at Motorola that made that first call possible, so he shares the recognition with them. He plans to celebrate tonight here in New York at a dinner with fellow industry pioneers. Wow, that's That's fun. It it hurt when you butt-dialed with that phone. (laughs) (laughs) But you were higher up. It was okay. My first first phone was mounted in my car. All the guts was in the back of it. Mm -hmm. My Ford Explorer, and it had a little mount on the front there. Wow. Did you have that 8-track player? Too. Oh, yeah. It was great. Yeah. Oh, I remember that call when Watson, when uh, Alexander Graham Bell had to call Watson. <laughs> I was there. I was actually in there. We were having coffee. He spilled some of that. So, Watson, come in here. I need you. Broker's bothering me. Mr. Roker, yeah. how about a, a modern day forecast? All right. Let's show you what we've got for today. Severe storms, strong storms firing up down through the Gulf later tonight. Tomorrow night, we're going to be looking at severe storms in the plains. Blizzards developing out west, strong winds through the south. Beautiful day here in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic states. And that's your latest weather. Guys? Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Coming up, there's new music, fresh high school drama, and of course, those brightly colored jackets. The cast of the new series, Ooh. Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies. They'll join us live. Oh, can't wait. Coming up on Pop Start, we're going to give you the winners and memorable performances from the CMT Music Awards last night. And then we're so happy to have Justine Bateman with us, sharing an empowering and refreshing message when Yay. it comes to embracing aging. Good morning, Justine. Amen. It's time to breathe easier this allergy season with Breathe Right Nasal Strips. With instant nasal congestion relief for up to 12 hours, you can spend your time on your terms, not on your noses. Stuffy nose from outdoor allergens? No problem. We got you. Allergy season just turned into stripping season. Instant relief from nasal congestion anytime, anywhere. Need more convincing? Click the banner below and get a free sample. Breathe Right. Get your strip on. Use as directed. 